Tom Panos, John the Grand, Million Dollar Agent, the podcast, the longest serving real estate podcast in Australia. John McGrath, how are you going? G'day, Tommy. World, world record for gibbering. Never been so much gibbering on one podcast for as long as we've been doing it. Tommy, what about those Tiger stands protesting in the city the other day? That was pretty average. What's going on with Look your Look at that. Unbelievable. Comes in, throws in, throws the Tigers under the bus. Now, now, now. by the way, everyone that's watching and listening to this, if you've got a spare hour, watch the rerun of Tales of Tiger Town. John, have you watched their snitchel? Uh, sorry, snitchel. sausage. Is it snitchel? Snitchel, yeah, snitchel. Snitchel. <laughs> Come on over, join us here now, Johnny. Did you yeah. you were you were involved you were involved with South Sydney Rabbitohs when Michael Maguire was the coach? Firstly, have you seen, have you seen Tales from Tiger Town? Very good. I thought it's very. I've, I've seen the first one. I don't know if the second one's out yet, but I've seen the first one. Very very good. I'm not sure when he agreed to do it. Whether he kind of could preempt what the season they were going to have, but maybe it makes good viewing because it's a tough season, right? Rebuilding. It's really interesting because um, this morning I read that the popularity of Michael Maguire from West Tigers fans is at an all-time high. And this is at a time when, I mean, the results are terrible. They're second last. and um, But they obviously like him as a person. They and, and I think a lot of it's got to do is that documentary or that first episode of the documentary, John, shows a guy that genuinely is absorbed in his work. You can tell that the guy cares um, and people like that. He's a very good human being, Tommy, and there's no doubt he's a good coach. Look, my cynic within me suggests that he was slightly flattered in 2014 because I think you and I could have coached the Rabbitohs to win that year. In hindsight, they really had a superior um, team on the field. Um, but he's no doubt he's a very good coach. Uh, I knew him very well personally, uh, showed him some property, very nice guy, good family man. And you can see in that that uh, Netflix thing that how passionate he is and that passion comes through and in, into the dressing room and into everything he does. So uh, yeah, it's really interesting. There is a quote, and I'm going to, because as we go to, to, to press, to air, or whatever, well, this is live, so... Uh, as most people know, it was yesterday that Ariane won the um, won the swimming. Uh, yeah, it was a four hundred, wasn't it? She won. Yes. A quote a quote that Shane Smollen sent me, and I'm just going to read it to you because it's very good. And it was that it was about or done by her coach, right? You know the guy that did the did the. Um, uh, this is great television. He, he did the you know the jumping up and down that yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the quote said, um, "When my when my swimmers leave the pool deck, they start to recovery. They start the recovery process. This is after training, and then they go home to rest. But I don't. I go home and I dream for them. I go home and try and find a way for them to get better. I don't turn off, and that's why I got so emotional. So." For leaders, sales managers, and for everyone there, I mean, whoever, but he, he basically says he doesn't turn off. He goes home, he dreams for them. So everything is focused on his swimmers. And he goes home to try to find a way to get them better. And I just thought that's commitment, man. And I think that's the, the Madge Maguire, the Michael Maguire thing is he's so passionate for all his players. Um, you know, that comes through. So, you know, that's great. The Olympics are here. They're with us. 
it's it's really exciting. You know, are you think, Johnny? Are you are you an Olympic viewer? Have you been jumping on and watching all the time? And any time I get any time off, lunchtime, before, after, uh, I'm I'm watching. Are it. you watching Channel Seven, or are you are you doing it by the apps where you change and watch different sports? No, I'm doing it on Channel Seven, and um, I have got the app occasionally open, but um, I'm just doing it there, and I just think. It's just the commitment, you know, you see like Ariane and you see others that have done such a phenomenal job. The girls in the relay, when the girls are just wiping the floor and they're swimming, they're brilliant. And you just think, you know, what has happened in their lives the last six years leading up to this? It's been like, you know, early morning starts and grinding away day in day. And you bring it to the real estate industry, Tommy. If you want to win the gold medal in real estate, using a direct uh, metaphor, is you got to do the grind. Now, we don't have to get up at 3 a.m. and do three or four hours swimming quite possibly in a, in a cold pool or cold environment. You know, all we need to do is an hour or so of, of prospecting a day and learn, learn, you know, how do you list a property. I'm still amazed, Tommy, at the number of people that, that I talk to and, and get the occasional opportunity to coach that still have got an average listing presentation. I'm saying, man, this... In the age of information, ignorance is a choice. If you don't, you know, go to Eric, go to Tommy's real estate gym, go to YouTube and, and just like work out what does a dynamic listing presentation look and sound like, you only have yourself to blame. And, you know, look at these athletes, what they've been through to get to the gold medal. Well, every day is an opportunity for a real estate guy, but you've got to unpack what success looks like. And now, and now John, there is no better time to actually invest in self-improvement. Uh, learning is earning because there is a big part of Australia that have got uh, restrictions in what they can and can't do. But as this podcast is going live, we're um, at the end of uh, July, uh, Melbourne is ending their lockdown at midnight tonight. Adelaide has ended their lockdown. Orange yep. has left their lockdown. Sydney is still in restrictions. Um, and, John, it would be remiss if we did not touch on what the smart girls and guys are doing that have got restrictions on them um, and how to avoid that pyjama slope walking around the home at 10.30 in the morning with a cup of coffee in your hand basically saying, well, there's nothing I can do, so I'll just do nothing. Um, John, what, what, what are you seeing the best girls and guys doing at the moment, particularly the Sydney lockdown? What, what, what do you see they're doing? So Sydney's the greatest restriction and, and everyone's got to take their own advice and kind of work out where what they believe you can do. Because as you and I and Susan were just speaking off air, there, there is a little bit of confusion or uncertainty, if you will, about what you can and can't do. But we're taking the view as a company that you the, the only things you can't do are group open for inspections or inspections with more than one person and on-site options. From our perspective, and this is the view that we're taking as a company in Sydney, if you're operating in a COVID-safe environment with masks and, and distancing and you can show one person at a time through a property um, in a COVID-friendly way, you can conduct virtual uh, listing presentations and we believe you can go to a listing presentation as well, but people have to make up their own mind about that. And you can certainly conduct, you know, the we're using Pete Matthews auction now for our, our virtual auctions. And um, so we think you can pretty well, and, and I was just mentioning to you, Mike Dowling's just tipped over his 17th sale for the month and 
Amit Nayak and, and Ritesh's brother have just done 15 at Parramatta. So I think I think that, you know, once you've made your decision, if you are operating in a COVID-safe environment, you can still operate effectively even in Sydney, which is the toughest lockdown. Um, but make sure you're doing everything right. Um, yeah, there's a bit of a debate about whether you can get property photographed and signboards in store. Well, you've got to speak to your supplier, and that's got to be their call because they're the ones that are, you know, are going to be taking the risk if there is a risk. But um, as we speak, again, our suppliers um, within COVID regulations are still comfortable photographing and installing signboards. So um, I, I think that's important. Um, the things that unequivocally you can do, Tommy, nurture marketing, ringing up your clients. I was speaking to, I was doing a bit of coaching with Ahmed this morning from Parramatta, and he said at the moment he's getting 75% connectivity with the people he rings, which is double normally. So normally if he makes 100 calls in a day, he gets through the 30, 35 people. The others go to voicemail. They don't, they go to message bank or whatever. Now he's getting 75% through to people. And he said, not only is he getting through, they're happy to talk. They love chatting with him and they all want to know what's happening in the market. So that was number one. Number two is, uh, I think Con shared with me a statistic. It was from Domain. I don't have an REA equivalent, but Domain said their traffic in Sydney for the last four weeks is up 39%. Unusual on 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 normal time. So what does that say? That means the seventy five percent statistic says there's people at home that are answering their phone and happy to talk. The thirty nine percent increased traffic says that a lot of people that are spending their excess time looking for property. The fact that Dowling and Nayak and others are selling fifteen to twenty properties a month means there are people not just prepared to look but prepared to buy. And I know, Tom, you've been doing a lot of successful auctions. You know, most of the I'm talking to have got 80 85% clearance rate on a yeah. virtual platform. So, John, I think the issue now is, and I want to touch on it and get your view on it, because, like, if you sit down there commercially, logically, it seems to me right now, if you're someone that wants to sell their house in the foreseeable future, you'd be selling now. And that's purely about demand and supply and the absorption rate, you know. We clearly know that there's a large pool of buyers, but there have been a number of sellers that have decided to retreat from the market, whatever their reasons, they, whether it's uh, for health reasons or whether they're just uncertain about the economics. But you and I know, John, that in real estate, you want to sell in isolation and ideally you want to buy when there's a lot of stock on in competition. So... How do, how do you set yourself up? How do you set yourself up to be a buyer when there's a lot of stock on the market in November by being a seller right now? But, John, what's the sort of conversation that agents that want to encourage some sellers to come onto the market right now can use in their um, dialogue or their approach? There are three approaches, I think, Tommy, right now. Number one is you actually just have to ask them how are they feeling and if, and if they're saying, you know, we, we think it's not a good time, you need to listen and understand and not jump into solution or selling mode. Just say, so Tom, how are you and Sula feeling about the possibility of going to market? I know we've been talking about it. You say, oh, look, I think it's a great time. You tell me more. What are your thoughts? What are you feeling? So you first actually got to listen to them because in the absence of that, they're not going to listen to you. So I think the first thing is to really build that bridge about understanding where are they coming from. Second thing is to have your own Beliefs. Look, my belief is it's a great time to sell, even though it feels counterintuitive. You think, well, hang on, no open for inspections, no on-site auctions. 
but everything that I'm seeing in our company in the areas that we're selling, the results that we're seeing are still extraordinary. So my view is post-COVID, there will be a surge, a tsunami of listings, if you will, between that period, is in Sydney, that period and Christmas. So if, if we come out of COVID in a month, call it, you know, 1st of September or thereabout, uh, out of lockdown, I think few months are going to be absolutely hectic with listings. So what does that mean? As you've just said, that means there's going to be a lot more competition for your buyers. So I think that that'll outweigh any any benefit of being in, in post-lockdown. The other thing is have some statistics like the one I've just told you, you know, and, and if you're a domain or an REA, speak to your local account manager, but con statistic is 39% increase in traffic during the lockdown. So that's pretty compelling. Have some case studies so, you know, we sold a property last weekend and just want to let you know what happened. I mean, we did one two weeks ago, Tommy. Hayden Duncan sold one down in Kangaroo Point. Um, it was had 274 bids, 19 registered bidders. The reserve was 4.1. It went for 6.2. So it, it went 50% or $2 million above the reserve price. And the reserve was clearly set, you know, with based on what has been selling, comparables, there was no, absolutely no underquoting to speak of there. It was just an extraordinary result, 274 bids later. So I think you need a couple of good case studies, maybe three, you know, different price ranges. You need some good statistics. What is the approach or the story? Well, the story is, you know, come September, there's going to be an avalanche of, of listings. So I, if I were you, I'd rather be a, a buyer at that point than a seller, which is real. Then you need an approach. So how would you do it? Well, you know, what I'd probably do, Tom and Suler, I'd, I'd, I'd get the property listed. We, we Our suppliers can get it on, on market. I'd take the first week or two, get some qualified buyers through the property. Either we'll get an extraordinary offer for you uh, and we'll be celebrating or we'll get some great feedback and that'll really justify whether you feel comfortable moving to a campaign launch in a week's time. So, you know, you just need to have an approach. So that would be probably that gives them a little bit of sense of security that we're not sort of jumping in the deep end yet. We're just going to get it ready and we're going to put a forthcoming auction there. We won't put a date yet. Let's just get some people through and then we can put a date on in a week's time if you'd like to or we might have sold it or you might decide that based on the feedback that I give you that it's not the right time for you, which I totally understand. So I think you've just got to have some case studies, some statistics, a good story and a good approach and a belief. I mean, my belief is now if I was selling this to be, I, I wouldn't hesitate. I'd go to market with the best agent I could find and I would uh, I would just uh, go with a campaign and uh, get on the market, virtual auctions. I did one on the weekend, Tommy. I know you did a lot, but I did the first one I'd done for a little while and we had a reserve of 4.5 million, went for 5 million. Uh, it was done on Zoom with auction now and Zoom as a hybrid. Very effective, great experience as an auctioneer for me, Great, more importantly, great experience for the buyers, great experience for the vendor and the agent. It was a really, really good outcome. And I just think while that's out there, by the way, that probably would have been worth about three and a half a year ago. That's, that's I mean, it probably should have gone from three and a half to four and a half in the last 12 months. And that last half a million was a premium that none of us could have predicted. Yeah, I, I, I actually did my first auction now, online auction. I've been, John, the last three weeks I've been doing Zoom like this. And I actually quite like Zoom because I see the faces. And whilst it's not, it's, you know, you know the feeling, whether you're presenting at a conference or wherever, 
having people that you can look in the eye actually just enhances the experience for everyone, even the, even the speaker or the auctioneer. Um, and Peter Peter Matthews did tell me uh, on Saturday, he came to my auction. He actually came along to set up the equipment to just support. Um, and uh, so can I ask you, did you use, and he told me you got a very good result. Off the top of my head, it was in the inner west, wasn't it, for Cindy, I think he said, or am I wrong? No, no. No, that one was Mark McPherson at Coogee. Um, but, uh, look, we did a hybrid. So we used auction now as the platform to register, sign on glass and uh, and so forth. But I wanted the Zoom experience as the auctioneer, so we actually sent all the registered bidders. So what we did, so Tommy and all the listeners, um, we like auction now. We think it's a great platform, so we kind of we use that and we think it's great, especially for the compliance and organisational stuff. But as an auctioneer, as you just said, Tommy, staring down a camera as opposed to staring in the eyes of bidders is a very different experience. So we 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 sent all the registered bidders a link to a Zoom call. The other people, we had 128 people watching it that weren't bidding. Bidders, four of them were pipeline sellers who have now listed with Mark. So that was interesting. They watched the auction. He said, well, if you're not sure about whether to go to market, you know, here's a link to the auction now. And, and four of the 128 that watched it actually listed their property with him. So, you know, that's what we did. We had a gallery of people watching on auction now but not participating, and we had 11, 12, 12 registered bidders on the Zoom call that I was calling and seeing them, and, and it was just they weren't bidding on auction now. They were just bidding through the camera. So it was a really good experience. So I think... Um, you've actually, John, before you go on, you've actually just reminded me of... You know, there's a client I do uh, auctions with and um, every time I rock up to do the auctions, the vendors feel like, hey, Tom, they, they just feel like they know you. And then I sort of said to to the agent, I said, you obviously must show a video. And he says, oh, no, we do more than that. He said, if we know the property is going to sell, what happens is our whole pipeline gets emailed your link on Facebook so they're actually watching it, and as far as we're concerned, there is no stronger touch point when someone's seeing a live, authentic auction. They're about to make up their mind on who they're going to list with, and when they see the result, we then follow them up at the end of that afternoon and say, hey, how did you go? Did you get a chance to see that auction? And often that is the listing conversation that goes into signing an agreement up. So I think, uh, John... Real estate agents have got, I've got to hand it to real estate agents. They have been intelligent in their adopting of technology versus a lot of the other industries. Don't you think? Oh, yeah, I think, you know, and courtesy of some great platforms, you know, like the auction now and, and like even Zoom just as a business platform. And I think it's been terrific. So Mike Dowling does exactly what your your customer did then. He, he sends one or two a week live on Facebook, just like we're doing now, I think. And um, but yeah, the auction now platform got marked for listings. So you choose which way you want to leverage through technology, but um, definitely do it. Before we finish, I've got a couple of uh, things that I I just wanted to mention to our or our viewers and listeners and yourself. Um, so a couple a couple of quotes that I've been I've been reading a lot. The extra time I've had above, I've been reading a lot. There was a great one I saw the other day, Tommy, and this guy, and he said, you know, there was one question someone asked me many years ago. And he said, it changed my life forever. So I'm kind of hanging on the edge of my seat. What was it? He said, here's the question. If this were easy, 
if this were easy to do, what would it look like? If this were easy to do, what would it look like? Because what did that mean to me? That just meant that so often we look at something and we think, oh, we think of everything could go right and everything could go wrong and what have we got to do? And we create this complex tapestry of actions that often stop us even taking the first step. Whereas he said, if this was just easy to do, what would it look like? So, and, I, and I'm taking that now into every, it's a bit like, you know, will it make the boat go faster? It's kind of in my, ringing in my ears. And uh, so now it's about saying, I just did a coaching session with Con Sothopoulos then, and we just, and I just said to him, Con, if this were easy, what would it look like? And we just, I love that. I just, I just think to myself that occasionally you listen to a question that can actually not only transform um, the person that you, you, you ask it, but their, their whole business. Even, I mean, I'm just listening to that question. I've just, John, I'm thinking about something that I need to get done. And it's one of these things that I have paralysis by overanalysis. I keep going over it. And it appears that every time I come with the solution, the solution itself has got problems attached to the solution, if you know what I mean, right? I love that. That reminds me of the the other quote that I think we've shared on here before with our listeners, but Peter Thiel that says, you know, what are your what's your five year goals? How could we do it? And then then he's question mark, and then and how can we achieve those in six months? So it's the same sort of thing. What can we do to make it simple? How can we make it easy? Let's just focus on what happens if it all goes kind of quite well. And let's not worry about, oh, yeah, but how's that person going to respond to this? And that could go wrong. If this were easy, how, how would it look? So that was a good one. Um, this is another one that reminded me of you, Tommy, because you've got a very similar uh, saying to this, and it says you don't have to be amazing to start, but you have to start to be amazing. And I thought that was that. I love that. Me. It's a good I one, isn't that. it? I love that. And I love your point. What's your quote that you use a lot? Um, 80% of winning is just beginning. But, John, extending on that one, you don't have to get it right. You just got to get it going, right? (laughs) I love love that one as well because I I actually think to myself, no matter what your plan is in your head, it's not going to work out anyway. From my own experience, you're going to have to change it. It's just the way things are, right? You just... Change as you go ahead. Any any more? Geez, I like yeah, these one, quotes. One, one more, which I really like because I, again, I'm going to use it. It said, uh, "The greatest teachers in life are those people who trigger you. The greatest teachers in life." So now, when you come across someone, some someone or a situation, and they appear to be difficult, um, politics, unreasonable, whatever it is, just realize they are a teacher for me. And this this point in time and in my life. I'm standing in front of a great teacher, so I need to deal with this. So just a little, I, I love quotes, as you know, Tommy, because just so many times, I find them as practical little snippets of wisdom. So I'm in a situation and I'm feeling pressured or stressed or angry or whatever, I'll just pick up something or I'm approaching a project and I've done five pages of notes and I'm starting to talk myself out of doing it. I said, just imagine if this was simple. You know, what, how, how would this look if this were easy? So, uh, yeah, no, interesting, but... Um, Let's see what happens over the next week with the Olympics. We've got athletics coming. We've got more swimming. We'll get more women will do gold medals. Hopefully a few men will kick in as well. Um, oh, last one, just I was watching the uh, All Blacks. Well, I guess whatever the um, the New Zealand Sevens team is called. I don't think they're called All Blacks. They're playing Australia, and they just beat them by two points today, and I think they might be favoured to win the competition. And just reminded me, Tommy, Apple computers, right? 
now biggest company in the world, but at some point far from the biggest, just a little interesting small boutique. Why didn't Microsoft, why didn't Dell, why didn't these companies that were 100 times bigger just employ people, just buy a better logo designer, buy better coders, pay more money? Because Apple created a culture that couldn't be duplicated. And I thought the same thing with the All Blacks. Here you are. And what's New Zealand? We've got some listeners in New Zealand. I don't know, and I'm sorry, I should know, guys, but what's the population? It might be half a dozen million or something. Five million. Five million. And yet they have the greatest national sporting team in the history of the world being the All Blacks. There has never been a sporting brand or team with with an international success profile of the All Blacks and they're up against the home of rugby, which is England, that's got, I don't know, 70 million population, and France, that's got, I think, 65 million population, Australia, that's got like 30 million population or 26 or whatever we've got. And you just think, you know, it comes down to culture, belief, um, a, a number of things that don't necessarily cost money and don't require a massive population. So just think if you're out there and you're the little guy in your community or the little office or that you don't have market share, just think, you know, you can create something through energy and culture and belief that can beat, you know, David beat Goliath, remember, as as, uh, as Ryan said, Ryan Holiday said it, uh, at, at Eric. So, yeah, just, just think about that. I just got all these thoughts about sporting metaphors watching the Olympics, but All Blacks, 5 million people, the greatest team on planet Earth. Go figure. Johnny, thank you so much to our listeners and viewers today because it's being live streamed as well. Stay healthy, stay safe, participate in the solution. And um, I just think, John, like mathematics basically say that in two months' time, we're going to be in a lot different world than what we are now. I mean, uh, the speed of vaccination, the speed of things that are happening is basically going to say that um, we've got a few teething issues now, but the most important thing is I don't want our listeners or our viewers to be the kind of agent that is on that pyjama slope, that Peter Alexander pyjama slope. All righty. Thanks, Tom. We'll see you next week.